Just go ahead and take it. Just go ahead and take it in your hand, whether it's electronic or leather and paper. Or, uh, just go ahead and take that in your hand and, uh, and open your Bibles to the uh, book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Gospel of John, chapter 14. I've said this before. If you don't have a Bible, you see me or one of the other pastors afterwards. And we will get you a Bible of your very own. Very nice one, by the way. We, we, get, we give nice Bibles here. If you need one, we'll get you one. But I want us to go into God's Word and, and allow the Lord to speak to us today through His Word. The, uh, the word love is used a great deal uh, of time this year, right? You, you, you've seen that uh, these last couple of days. Valentine's Day, what was it, Thursday night? Friday night we had an event here, but... Uh, I don't know if you celebrated it, uh, and you know, uh, a, lo- a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, it doesn't even have to be between a husband and a wife, or a fiance, or a boyfriend and a girlfriend, I and mean, my wife gives, uh, she still puts together Valentine's Day cards for our kids, and I, I kind of thought, well, you know, what's the big deal, ah, they don't really care about that, but then I thought, well, the $20 gift card that she puts in there, that means a lot to them, <laughs> um, so I don't know if the card means a whole lot, but the... Uh, uh, it's pretty nice. You know, I mean, we express our love, right? That's, that's, that's what we do, not just in word, though that's important. Um, I think it's both, right? It's both word and deed. It's, it's what we say, also what we do. It's the, it's the feeling, it's the action, it's the statement, it's, it's, it's all of that. And so, uh, but we talk a great deal about love this, this, time of, this, this time of year. And really, love is a, love is a wonderful thing, right? Love is a wonderful thing. And uh, last week, we saw how God's love, right, specifically God's love, last week we saw how God's love is not just something that is, His love is something that does. Let me say that again. God's love is not just something that is, it is, it is something that does. It's not simply feeling, it is action. I, I mentioned last week how so often in the Word, particularly in the New Testament, uh, the, the, the word love is more verb than it is noun. That it, it, it implies doing something, acting something out, accomplishing something. It, it, it's used not only a lot this time of year, but it's used a great deal in the Bible. And, and how we, we saw, we, I referenced that, that, that scripture in the Bible, that well-known verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. God so loved the world. The greatest demonstration of love throughout all of time and all of eternity is that God loved the world so much He sent His Son so that He would die on our behalf, so that He would die shedding His blood, forgiving our sins, changing our lives, and He rose from the dead, and He gives us new life. Glory to God. God so loved the world. God's love. It's amazing. It's amazing, the love of God. Um, And last week, we learned about a man in Matthew chapter 22 who belonged to a religious order called the the Pharisees. They were called the Pharisees. and, And this man came to Jesus and asked Jesus to declare which of Moses's commands, the Moses' commands are more than the Ten Commandments, but that's kind of the synopsis of all of them. 
This man came to Jesus and said, which of Moses' commands are the most important? And then Jesus, with, with masterful, divine eloquence, reduced it down to two basic statements. Jesus reduced the entire Mosaic law down to two commandments. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And essentially, he said this, love God with everything in you, heart, soul, and mind. Love him with everything in you. Passion. We have a timeout on something. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a signal of timeout, and we're going to um, that's not just you. You're not passing away. Um, we're going to bring the lights down. We've got an issue here with this. I thought I, there was something wrong with me for a while, but I'm not the only one. Are we good now? I think we had to, that's called a reset, all right? Is that right? That we just did a reset. I got a thumbs up. We're going to continue. All right, so Jesus is with this, um, with this man, and and, 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 he, and he says, love God with everything in you. This is the, the greatest commandment. And then Jesus said this. He said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus, first of all, in that first, in that first statement, he talked about the the, the vertical relationship that, that love God with everything in you. If you can imagine this, you, you're standing there and you love God. You're looking up and you, you have that vertical relationship. That's, that's primary. That's the most important. But then Jesus, with that, without breaking stride at all, he says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's horizontal. Jesus said, love God with everything in you and love others as yourself. Those, those two dimensions of love. We, we talk a lot about love. Love God with everything in you and love others as yourself. It's not one, it's both. If you were here last Sunday or you heard the message uh, by some other means, maybe, maybe Jesus' words have come back to you in this last week. A, a number of you commented to me and and, and some of the other staff members, and it came back to me and that, that how, how it was, it was a, a very uh, uh, good yet disturbing message last week. And, it, and, and it, it's supposed to be because God's word is supposed to do that to us. But perhaps in this last week, as you, as you heard about the importance not only of loving God, but that, that both, are, both dimensions, loving others, is also important, uh, maybe that came back to you when suddenly you encountered someone who's a little bit difficult to love. Because that happens. We hear about loving God, and we, we get that, and giving him all of our love, and, and, and maybe you, you were reminded of that this last week when, when all of a sudden something challenged your love for, for God, or something tried to come between your, you and God, and break that, that relationship. Or, or, or maybe you encountered someone and it was so very, very disturbing when you, when you saw them, when you en encountered them, and, and that came back to your mind that you're to love others as yourself. In John chapter 14, you have it in front of you. Jesus was speaking of love again. It's, it's, a, it's a different occasion. It's a different setting. It's the same person, and it's really much the same message. 
In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said to his followers then, and he says this to us today, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Let me read that again. Just 10 words. If you love me, you will obey what I command. That's very simple and that's very straightforward. I mean, you can't put it any more simple than that. If you love me, Jesus said to them and to us, if you love me, then you will obey what I command. My paraphrase. If you love me, do what I tell you. (laughs) If you love me, do what I say. Very simple, very direct. Same chapter, look down a couple of verses. Look at verse 23 and 24. Jesus said much the same thing. He said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Right? Basically the same statement. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Now that's a little bit stronger right there. He says, if you, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you don't love me, if, or if you don't do what I command you to do, then you're demonstrating, remember, that love is, is not just a, a statement or an, a, a noun, that it is a thing, it is an action. Jesus was basically saying there, if you don't do what I tell you, then you're demonstrating to me that you don't love me. It says they're teaching. Notice, please, it says that the very end of verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. I'm just going to put this out here. Isn't it interesting how many people say, I love God, but they don't know what Jesus says? How many people say, how many people that you know, perhaps even you, how many people will declare, I love God, but they don't know what Jesus said? They're they're quick to say, because there's really, it's very easy to say, I love something, but then have no, no action behind it. How many people say, I love God, but they don't know any of the teachings of Jesus? But Jesus is saying right here, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Well, how can you obey his teaching if you don't know what he said? I'm going to encourage you again. Some of you have, in recent weeks or months, you've been engaging God in his word. You've been, you've been diving in deep. You've been going in. You've been receiving things from God's word. And I'm, and I'm telling you, I want you to continue to do so. Because it will change your life. But there's going to be some things, I'm warning you, there's going to be some things that you're going to encounter, some things that you're going to come across, and it's going to be so disturbing because all of a sudden you're going to realize, now that I know that, I have to obey it. But I still want you to do it because we're called to that. In the very next chapter, John chapter 15, Jesus said again much the same thing. Verses 9 and 10, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, there it is again, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love Again, here Jesus is is saying that that there's a connection between between our love for him and doing what he says. That there's a connection. It's not just emotion. It's not just a statement of fact. It is an action. It is something, not just what we believe, it is something that we do. It's so easy to say that we love him and avoid or refuse to do what he calls us to do, but if you truly love him, you do what he calls us to do. I want to establish that very clear. 
Because here it's in John chapter 15, verse 12, where love transitions, love trans- Jesus is transitioning here in this, in this dialogue in John chapters 14 and 15. Um, he, it, it's, it's here in verse 12 where love transitions from the vertical relationship that we have with God to the horizontal relationship. Now remember, up to this point, he's been saying, if you love me, you'll do what I command. Look at verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. On many different times, all the way up through chapters 14 and into 15, he says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And then in verse 12 of John chapter 15, he says, this is my command, love each other as I have loved you. And then one more time, down in verse 17, just five verses later, this is my command, love each other other. This is my command, love each other. Now, remember how we started this back in Matthew chapter 22 where the man came to Jesus and said, you know, um, um, what are the great commandments? Jesus said there are basically two, I paraphrase, there's basically two, love God with everything in you and love each other as yourself. No longer from that day to this day, Including these verses, no longer can we say that this relationship, the horizontal relationship, has nothing to do with the vertical relationship. We can't call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ if we don't also demonstrate love towards other people. And the demonstration of love comes in a lot of different ways. It it takes a lot of of different forms. Sometimes it's going to be very sacrificial. Sometimes it's going to be easy. I'm telling you, sometimes, most of the time, it's going to be harder than it is easy. But if we truly say we love him, then we demonstrate that, Jesus said, by following his command to love each other. <laughs> I've met people, perhaps you have as well, as basically say, I love God and that's all that matters. No, no, that isn't all that matters. We are also called his command to love each other. We can't just get by and say, oh, it's, just, it's just me and Jesus. No, we're called to love each other and to demonstrate that love. Now, I need to say this. Quite frankly, it would be very easy to end the message right here. And, and you know, just to say, okay, you know, let's love each other and, and, uh, and, and let's pray and then we go to lunch, right? It would be very easy. Because in, in, just, in just saying love each other, there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of detail there. there there's, it's kind of left up as to how that happens, But there's something else that Jesus said about love. Remember, Jesus said a great deal about love being an action more than just a a feeling. There's something else that Jesus said about love or our love for others that is, I think, one of the most difficult things that Jesus ever said. Not so much that it's difficult to understand, it's just difficult to do. It's difficult to live it out. It's in Matthew chapter Five. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me just set up the scenario. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. Uh, this, is, this is a part of what we refer to as the uh, Sermon on the Mount. If you have one of those Bibles that has the words of Jesus in red, we call that a red letter edition, all of chapter 5, all of chapter 6, 
And almost all of chapter 7 is written in red. They're the words of Jesus. It is this incredibly deep, though probably not very long, because you could read it in a relatively short period of time, but it is an incredibly deep set of Jesus' teachings that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It includes the Beatitudes. Maybe you've heard about that. That's in here as well. And Jesus speaking so deeply, bringing the powerful truths of God to these people. And this is the occasion. And it's in verses 43 and following that Jesus said this. Now, before we read it, I warn you, this is about to get very challenging. And, and I say this without being in, in any way trying to be humorous. You've been warned. Because what you're about to hear is going to be life-changing. What you're going to hear, you can no longer from this day forward say, I don't know anything about it. So you're responsible for what you're about to hear. Verse 43, Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Pause there for a moment. Again, Jesus said, verse 43, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is quoting a common sentiment at the time. This sentiment was very common because the Pharisees, remember the guy back in Matthew chapter 22 that I mentioned earlier? The Pharisees had taken uh, the scripture from the book of Leviticus and they had twisted the interpretation and they had promoted this, um, they and others for a long time, had promoted this really this twist, this false teaching that you, 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 you love the people that love you, but you hate the people that hate you. That was the common understanding at this time. That wasn't truth, it was a twisted truth. It was a, it was a false teaching. But that was the common sentiment. If, 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 if people love you, you love them back. If they hate you, you hate them back. So again, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, quote, he, it's in quotes, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44, this is, this is, but I tell you, Jesus, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Again, Jesus said, but I tell you, that's what the, uh, he said, this is what the world around you tells you, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of the Father in heaven. I would love to go back there as he's addressing this crowd, this multitude. There could have been thousands of people there. And when Jesus said, you've heard it said, you know, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. <laughs> people went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when he comes in with this statement, but I tell you, I would love to see their faces. I would love to see their faces as they go, love those who hate me and pray for those who persecute me. Wait a minute, that is totally contrary to what we have learned. We're to love those who hate us. We're to demonstrate love to those who hate us. And we are to pray for those who, who persecute us. Wouldn't you love to see their faces? <laughs> I can't think. One guy said, what did he say? What did he say? I don't know. I think he said, 
Pray for those who persecute us. Love those who hate us. I'd love to see their reaction when he said that. You see, this is much more specific. That's why it's dangerous. This is much more specific. It's much harder than just loving your neighbor. You, it's, it, loving your neighbor is a bit ambiguous. You just oh, love your neighbor. Okay, that's great. But when it says, love those who hate you and pray for those who persecute you, that's a, that's a th- think of this. Think of this. Now, that, that's, it was hard for them. It's, it's, it can be very hard for people today. We are called, actually commanded. Jesus did not say, hey, listen, let me just throw this at you and tell you what. Why don't you give this a spin? Love. He didn't say it that way. He didn't say, try it out for a while and see if it works. He didn't say, let me propose this to you or suggest this to you. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. It was a command. We are commanded. It's not just them, it's us. We are commanded to love people who oppose us. We are commanded to pray for those who persecute us for our faith in Jesus Christ. So right there, right there in that statement, Jesus' command to love others just went, this, this relationship right here, just went from being difficult to bordering on the impossible. He did with that statement. He, he went from it, just loving others, right, this, this vertical relationship, from loving others to, to being borderline impossible because how can we do that? Well, we really can't, not in ourselves. You ever had anyone hate you? I, 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 mean, I mean, really hate you. Maybe it was something you did or didn't do. Maybe it was misunderstanding on their part or on yours. Have you ever had anyone that just hated, just hated you? I mean, they hear your name and they spit. Hate you. Quite possibly. Or let me ask you this, a little bit, a little bit broader perhaps. Anyone here ever been hurt by someone? In fact, let me see your hands. How many here, have you ever been hurt by someone? No, really, come on. I'm serious, I, I need you. I need, anybody here ever been hurt by someone? Raise your hand. Yeah. No, don't, point, don't point at people. Don't, don't do that. No, no, just raise your hand. Of course we have, every one of us, multiple times. You've been hurt by people. The reasons for infinite, the, the reality of it, very painful. Jesus commands us here in Matthew chapter 5 and elsewhere to demonstrate love both to those who love us and to those who hate us. It's one thing to love those who love us. Jesus on another place said that's, that's easy. But 
to love those who hate us? In practical terms, and here's, I'm going to bring it down to practical terms. In very practical terms, that means that if someone has a, if someone has a different moral stand, we're to love them. It means if someone has a, a differing political viewpoint, we love them. Or, a, or, or they have a different understanding of culture, or, or they, they worship a false god. Say, now, wait a minute. Now, listen, preacher, you're getting into some dangerous territory. I'm not saying agree with them. They may be wrong. Their, their political ideology may be very worldly, ungodly, and skewed. It, their, their moral stand may be an immoral stand. The religion that they're a part of may in its essence be demonically inspired. And they may hate us, they may hate you for the moral stand that you've taken or the political statement that you have made or the, 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 the fact that you follow the one true God. They may hate you for it, but Jesus said, love those who hate you. I'm not condoning what they do. I'm not condoning what they say or what they believe. I just know that in practical terms, this is what Jesus is telling us. We are, we are called to demonstrate love to people and to pray for them even if they're wrong. Some people say, I'll pray for them. I pray that their house is invaded by a whole bunch of rabid rats. That's what I'll pray. Or I'll pray that they just die in mass. I'll pray that their face falls off. I'm not talking that kind of prayer. Jesus said, again, I'm doing a lot of paraphrasing, but Jesus said, instead of, the world says, hate those who hate you. That's the world's way of doing things. Retaliate. You hate me, I'll hate you more. You hurt me, I'll hurt you more. I mean, it's like you've like you got, you got Hatfields and McCoys on a global scale. Remember that? It's like West Virginia or someplace in Appalachia. They, one family, I think it all started with a pig and a stolen pig and it ended up with people killing each other. It's different clans. Oh, we, it's retaliation. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. It escalates. Again, it doesn't mean that we agree. It doesn't mean that what they do is right. It may be absolutely wrong. I believe in absolute truth, and therefore, I know that there is absolute untruth. But I also know that this difficult statement that Jesus said, and you got a problem with it, take it up with him, because I'm just repeating what he said. He said, love those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. It kind of makes you want to go back to just loving your neighbors because that's a lot more ambiguous, isn't it? Can we go back to just loving our neighbors? Um, 
this is hard. This is, this is hard. This is hard. Not hard to understand, but it's hard to live. This is hard to live. Especially when the world around us calls us to be angry and embittered towards those who hate us. Maybe you've noticed, maybe you've probably noticed that, that division sells headlines. And anger sells airtime. When Jesus made that statement that the generally held understanding was to love our neighbors and hate our enemies, that still gets traction today. I mean, there, there's a whole industry that's just that, that's, 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 that's dependent upon you becoming angry and generating hate towards those who hate you. But here's the thing. People then and people now are never moved when we simply respond in the same way as everyone else. That's really important. I want you to get that. This world will never be changed if followers of Jesus Christ only respond in the same way that the world treats us. Let me give you a heads up on something. Right now we live in a time, 2019, when, when the... When the, um, the, the climate towards Christians is not as warm as it used to be, but it's not as cold as it's going to become. There's going to come a time, there, there is coming a time, it's been incre- increasing measures, when there will be more persecution against followers of Jesus Christ. So how are we going to respond when that happens? The hatred, the hatred that has been directed towards followers of Jesus Christ is going to become greater, I believe, not less. So this is partly in, 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 in preparing us, I believe. Our world expects you to retaliate. Our world demands revenge. But listen to me, when we, in obedience to Jesus' command to demonstrate love for those who hate us, and when we pray for those who persecute us, the world around, they can't handle that. The world around us is shocked and amazed and bewildered and changed when instead of attacking them, we say we pray for them and we demonstrate love toward them. Who that's so hard. But this world is changed. This world is changed when followers of Jesus Christ do not respond in the way that the world around us responds. When the, when the men who nailed Jesus to the cross, when those men who were accustomed to the screams and the threats and the curses of others as they were crucified, because it was a common practice. When these men nailed Jesus to the cross and they fully expected him to do what everyone else did, issue threats, cursings, 
screams and beggings. When they heard Jesus pray to his Father, forgive them. I don't know exactly how it happened, folks. And so I, it's not recorded in Scripture. But I can say with a great deal of confidence, when they put Jesus down on that cross, he didn't fight them. I wouldn't be surprised, perhaps someday we'll find out, it's not recorded in Scripture, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus took his hand and he laid it out there. Because it was his choice to be there. And when he forgave them instead of cursed them, how shocking that must have been. How shocking that must have been. One of the guards later on, when Jesus died, said, surely this was the Son of God. Must have been a shock to their system, but it still is. It still is when Christians say, when they, when they do not retaliate, when they do not seek revenge, but when they demonstrate love and when they pray. A woman who lived a century ago and died now a generation ago, a woman demonstrated that kind of love. Her, her name was her name was Corey Ten Boom. I've referenced her, I think, about three different times in the many years that I've been your pastor. I do that, though she is a, a heroine of mine, and I have very few heroes or heroine. I reference her not because of her heroic life. I reference her because her life is a wonderful example of living for Christ under the most difficult of circumstances. If you don't know her story, um, because uh, maybe some who are older know it, some of you who are younger, you've never heard of her, you need to read her story. It's, it's a book called The Hiding Place, and we have it in our library. If it's checked out, I have it in my personal library. I'll loan it to you. You need to read her story. Here's the short version of her amazing story, and you can read the book later, the whole thing. It's fascinating. But here's the short version of her amazing story. During World War II, when the Netherlands, when the nation of Netherlands or Holland was occupied by Nazi Germany, uh, Corey, her father, and her older sister were arrested because they had been harboring and hiding Jews in their home. They were found out, they were arrested. Shortly after their arrest, the, the father, he was elderly, died, and she and her sister were placed in a concentration camp where sometime later her older sister also died in a concentration camp. Now, while that part of her story is compelling and disturbing, um, perhaps Corey's greatest test of faith came sometime after the war's end. It, it happened while she was, she went back to the Netherlands. She, 
she uh, was visiting Germany again, and she was in a church. I believe it was in the city of Munich, southern Germany. And she was in a church speaking, and while she was there in church, she saw in attendance one of the cruelest guards that had served in her camp. The, the prison, one of the prison guards, not just anyone, but one of the cruelest prison guards who served in that concentration camp. A, a monster. What he had done was monstrous. The former guard approached her. She recognized him. She could not forget that face. He approached her and then began to tell her how he had come to faith in Jesus Christ. That God had forgiven him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's telling her this story and then this former guard, this man who had been monstrous but who had, who had experienced the grace of God, then held out his hand, held out his hand, looked her in the eye, held out his, his, his hand, and he said this, Fraulein, will you forgive me? Corey Ten Boom later, later said how she stood there for what seemed like hours as she looked at his eyes and down at his hand. And the memories of this man's cruelty came back to her in waves. The things that he had done to her, her sister, and others. So without warning, she didn't see this coming. Without warning, she was being asked to do one of the most difficult things she would ever do. This man had been her enemy, right? Enemy. This man had been her enemy. This man had persecuted her, had persecuted her sister. She said as she was there, the anger and the coldness toward this man clutched at her heart. Those are her words. And she wondered how she could ever, in, in those few moments that seemed like hours, in those few moments she wondered how she could ever forgive this man for what he'd done. She prayed silently. And this thought came to her. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? That's the thought that the Holy Spirit put into her. Jesus Christ died for this man. See, you see, here's, here's what Christians believe that what Jesus did was sufficient. That we don't need to add to it, pay penance and all of that. True Christians believe that what Jesus did on the cross is enough to forgive us our sins. But she said, could I ask him to do something more? She said of that moment, and again I quote her, she said of that moment, forgiveness is an act of will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And here's what she prayed. Jesus, in that moment, she, she prayed, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So she did. So she held out her hand, and then something miraculous happened. Again, I quote, The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, 
And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And I said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And they stood there for some moments, just just grasping each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I want you to see her words. Corey later recalled, and she said this, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried, and I did not have the power. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness, that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Now, that's powerful. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. I made a comment a few moments ago. I said, when Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, his statement about loving our neighbors just went from difficult to almost impossible. In fact, I made the statement that it it basically is impossible because we can't do it on ourselves, and we can't. And see, here's where it breaks down. So many times in our lives. Now, let's, let's move, let's fast forward, right, 70, 80 years from World War II in that time. But there are so many people today, there are so many people today that say, I can't and I won't. And I say, you're partly true, you can't. But through God's grace, you can. He can give us the love. Now, hers is an extreme example. I don't know that any of us here have served time in Ravensbrück concentration camp. Don't let anything distract you. This is very important. Listen to me. There are people who hurt you. There are people who hurt you. There are people who wounded you. There are people that did heinous things to you. There are people that disappointed you beyond what words can describe And I'm telling you that if you hate them, it will destroy you. But if by the grace of God and his grace alone, you love them, he will heal you. So often we say, oh, Jesus, you need to heal me and then I'll forgive. Listen, you forgive and part of the process, you you will be healed. Right? Remember this woman, she says, I, all I can do is I can lift my hand. And it was when those hands touched, when, after she did that act, that, that difficult physical act, she, she reached out and she held, and that's when the healing began. So often people say, nope, nope. When they come to me, when they crawl to me and they ask for, for my forgiveness, then I'll do it, but not until then. Well, you're going to be waiting a long time. Don't you respond the way that this world responds. People are going to hate you. People are going to persecute you. They're going to per- hate me and they're going to persecute me. 
And it's going to be, I believe, hard, worse going forward. I don't say that to discourage you. I'm simply saying I'm getting us ready. I believe that we have to be ready because when the hatred comes and when the persecution comes, you know how our world is going to be changed? Not by responding in the same way, but by, res- by responding by the one who died on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. I, they don't know what they're doing. This is a hard message because each of us who have heard it will likely be put to the test. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you, you just heard it. And we will be put to the test. We will have opportunity. Say, I can't. You say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't forgive them. You're right, you can't, you can't, you can't forgive them. But Jesus can, Jesus perhaps already has, and Jesus can do a work in your heart so that you too, in all, in all powerful truth, you can be free of that. And now we've come to where you respond. Having done what God called me to do and bring what God called me to preach, now you have a responsibility. I'd like you to stand. Every person here, please. Every person here. If you can stand, please stand. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll make their way. We sang a song earlier called This Is Amazing Grace. We're going to close in prayer, but the closing is, uh, is also going to include a, an opportunity for response. And I would like you, some of you really have been carrying something for a long time, and you're saying, well, didn't you just, didn't you, you kind of preached this very similar message last week. Yeah, 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 I did. And the reason that I'm, in, in many regards, have very similar elements to both messages on either side of Valentine's Day is because it's such a big problem. It's because I believe what God began in some of you this last week. He's been working on you throughout the week and today you're going you're gonna to in, in essence say, alright, I, I can do this, I can reach out my hand and I can. Regardless of what they do, that other person or persons or group or entity, whatever, um, regardless of what they do, um, you can be free. I know this. I've experienced it. I've experienced it. I've experienced God's amazing grace. I know what it's like to hate. I know what it's like to hate. I know what it's like to be hurt. I also know what it's like to receive the touch from the Savior. His amazing grace. So I'm going to close in prayer. And, uh, and then we're going to open up these altars. The worship team is going to sing. And uh, if you need to go, go. If you want to come forward and pray, there'll be a people here to pray with you or pray over you. Um, if you. If you have not begun that relationship with Jesus Christ, you say, that is not even possible. It is possible, but first you have to experience his amazing grace. Pastor Brad is going to be right over here, right in front near that where the cross is. He's going to be over there. And if you have not begun that relationship with Jesus Christ, today's your day. Today's your day. Today's your day. And then you're going to begin to experience this amazing grace, not just sing about it. But uh, these altars are going to be open. And so if you have someone 
They're, they may not be here. They might be. I don't know. Let go grab them. Oh, that'd be tough. Do it. But they may not be here, but this is where, it, it, so you, 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 you step forward and say, yeah, I just want to bring this a little bit closer. Right. You ready? So you understand what we're going to do? We'll close in prayer. We're going to sing. And then um, if you need to go, go. If you're going to meet Pastor Brad over here and begin that relationship, do so. If you just want to come up here and pray for a while or turn where you are and pray for a while and, and, and just enjoy the presence of the Lord and, and say, Lord, heal me. Let's do that, all right? Lord Jesus, it has been so good to be in your presence here today. What a delight it has been with brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, I thank you for dying on that cross. Father, thank you for sending your son who died on that cross, rose from the dead and gave us new life. Thank you that we don't need to respond, retaliate, and revenge in the way that this world does. But we, in your power, can extend your grace. We, in your power, can forgive. We, in your power, can pray for those who persecute us. And so we, we want to really do your work and your will. So help us, Lord. As people make their way out of this building in the moments ahead or the hours ahead, bless them, protect them, use them in this coming week. For those who are gathering around these altars or coming and beginning a new relationship with you, Lord, we pray you do that. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Bless us, use us as we are your people, trusting you for greater things ahead in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning.
you would take